Hello, my friends, and you're very welcome to See Me podcast in conjunction with Obesity Advocacy International. I hope you can join me over the next while as we virtually travel the world to hear from some of the leading clinicians and researchers dealing with issues of obesity. We will also have advice on fitness and nutrition and how they complement each other, as well as talking to an inspirational young man from Ireland who's on a journey away from obesity. We will also be hearing from some of our friends around the world who will ask us to see me in their beautiful native tongue. So get comfortable, folks, and let's get ready to travel the world. My name is Millicent Perry from St. Elizabeth, Jamaica, and I want you to see me. And so we begin our virtual journey by heading across the globe to Australia to speak to Lynn Miller. Lynn is a research fellow at Mentally Healthy Western Australia and the Public Health Advocacy Institute at Curtin University in Perth, Western Australia, to name but a few. Her research focuses health promotion and chronic disease prevention, focusing on mental health and obesity, especially in low socioeconomic and rural communities. Lynn, you're very welcome to See Me podcast. How are you all the way over there in Australia? I'm very well, thank you. How are you going? Yeah, we're good. We're just heading into proper spring weather here now. And I guess you're the other end. You're probably heading into autumn, are you? We are heading into autumn, but Perth is very warm. So even our autumn days are about 30 degrees. Oh, yeah, we we could only dream of that in the height of summer over here. (laughs) So we'll get cracking, Lynn. So who are the members of Obesity Advocacy International? Well, Obesity Advocacy International have got members from all over the world, mainly from Ireland, but also from Australia, Rio, South Africa and Jamaica. And at the moment, there's 12 on our management committee and I'm the chair. But there's a really big, a wider group of members, I guess you'd call it. And and they come from all different walks of life. So we've got people from clinicians, of obesity clinicians. We've got GPs. We've got researchers like me who do population level research. But we've also got researchers who do individual level research with, you know, individual people sort of thing. Yeah. And then we've got communications experts, we've got finance, we've got other admin support. So we're bringing all these people together to build a really strong voice for advocacy for people with obesity in Ireland. Can you explain to me more about the aims of Obesity Advocacy International to accelerate the process of legislative change in relation to the prevalence and risk of obesity and its social gradient. Yeah, well, Obesity Advocacy International is a group that plans to advocate for population-level changes to the way obesity is addressed. So going more broader at the population level, and while obesity is a complex issue and must be tackled with a multitude of strategies, one of the most impactful ways of doing this is through high-level or legislative change. And they're also known as upstream interventions. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Like in the general population, um, sugar-sweetened beverage taxes, like research has shown them to be effective in reducing obesity in a lot of countries. But in places like Australia, there's a lot of pushback from big food and beverage industries and they've really got a lot of power and a lot of money and they've got the... um, the ear of the government here. But in countries like Mexico and a few other countries like that, it's, they're really effective um, methods to in reducing obesity. And also there's targeted population measures, and this includes things like making bariatric surgery timely and accessible for all, and not just people with economic means to have it, you know, to be able to pay their way through the health system. Hmm. So that's the sort of thing we'll be looking at. When you're dealing with a country where the drinks and food industry, as you alluded to, we say in Australia, for example, very much have the ear of the government, there's going to be a lot of roadblocks. How do you guys plan on getting over those hurdles? We'll look at what's been done in other parts of the world because I know, for instance, my work in Australia, what we've done is gone down a level of government. So I'm not sure what the levels of government are in in Ireland. But in Australia, we have three tiers. So we have a local government Mm -hmm. who looks after the local government areas, but I think you call them local government authorities. And then we've got a state government, and then we've got a federal government that oversees a lot. So if you aim at the federal government, it's quite difficult to get anywhere because of that opposition. So you've got to aim at the local level. So then you can get into 
the facilities that they run so you could get into the local sports clubs, the other local government facilities, and you can get soft drinks actually removed from there, so sugar-sweetened beverages removed from there. So I think starting at a grassroots level like this group is and getting a real movement there, and then you can get a push upwards as well as um, we've been engaging with some other politicians and that in Ireland. So we might be able to get a little bit of leverage up there too. So we'd have it going both ways. Yeah. And so that, that would help, I think. Yeah, if you create enough of a, an effect, they won't be able to resist you guys, I guess. Correct. That's <laughs> right. That's that's our hope. And, we'll, you know, we're going to be slamming with some data about, you know, the the obesity prevalence and, and the, the risk factors that go with that, like the non-communicable diseases and, and things like that, because, you know, you can't just keep ignoring such a big problem. Mm. You know, the poorer you are, the more likely you are to have obesity or to live with obesity. And the less of the powerful voice, less of the voice you've got. So you need to advocate for and with that group of people to really get some change. Okay. And finally, when will we know more about the vision, mission and terms of reference of Obesity Advocacy International? Well, our group's working very hard this month, March, to get a consensus statement on it by early April. So the committee will be working on that. But we'll be looking at other well-established organisations to get a bit of inspiration. For example, the World Health Organisation has a global target to halt the rise in obesity by 2025. So we'll be fitting in under that as well. And Obesity Australia, where I'm from, that's got a collective purpose to transform the way society thinks, speaks and acts on obesity. And its vision is to reduce the impact of obesity in Australia. And its mission is to drive change in the public perceptions of obesity and its prevention and its treatment. And I believe that our vision and mission will also include a statement around lessening disparities in health equity, but that's something that as a group we'll have to decide. You've plenty, plenty of hard work ahead of you yet though, Lynn, eh? Yes, we certainly do. <laughs> but, but it'll be worth it in the end, I think, if you keep persevering, you know? It certainly will. And doing it in Ireland, doing it in Australia, doing it all over the world, perhaps one day we'll see a more fair and just world and a more healthy world for everybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Lynn, thank you so much. Hello. Ik is André van die Mietselsplein. Ik wil leed, zij moet mij zien. Wat is jouw naam en waar zij van? Hello, I'm Jeffrey from Mauritius and I want you to see me. Bonjour, m'appelle Geoffrey, mon depuis Maurice et mon visite guide moi. Thanks to our friends from around the world asking you to see me in their native tongue. And now we travel back to Ireland to meet Tom Conlon. Tom is a psychoanalyst, organisational consultant and group facilitator who has a particular interest in the mental health of adolescents and young adults, those living with obesity and binge eating disorder, trauma and adverse childhood experience and the contemporary manifestation of chronic anxiety. Tom, you're very welcome. How are you, sir? Hi, that's a bad Pierce. Nice to, nice to be talking to you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the, the See Me mm. podcast. So we'll get straight down to it, Tom. So what's your own mm. personal experience of obesity? <laughs> well, as, as far as I remember and pictures show it, uh, when I was two years of age, I was a very rotund baby, you know, and, and uh, apparently, <clears throat> and this is what rumour has it, is that I couldn't walk uh, when I was two years of age. I was so, so plump, you know. Yeah. And um you know, uh, that's that's the curious thing. You know, I've, I've never, um, I've always thought to myself, like with regard to my interest in obesity, why is that? That's the closest thing I can find. Like I was a big, round, plump baby, you know? Okay. So what made mm. you focus on obesity as part of your research effort, Tom? I think that, um, you know, it was related to the work I was doing in the mental health area, which was, um, people would always ask me the question, well, listen, how long will it take to get me sorted if I come into you with anxiety or whatever? And and it's very hard to actually give them a... a, a a time frame, but what I discovered was that if people came to me through via GP, for example, that over a relatively short period of time, that people could get a, a reduction in their symptoms, things like anxiety and so on. You know, if they came for eight or ten weeks, and I, I said to myself, if I could put a short-term program together, which would combine a bit of talk therapy and a bit of fitness nutrition, you know, it might actually all together might actually have a real beneficial effect on on a variety of symptoms. So. I put one of those programs together and it's actually more from there really, you know, that, that uh, from the early work I did in that area, I've, I've 
done some field work in the area with with people with obesity with good results and i said well okay well I, i'd see what else i could actually do so that's i think that's 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 been the path that i've followed over the last 12 15 months really you know and what's your clinical experience in the area of obesity and binge eating disorders uh, yeah I, I i'd be active now um in my my work you know that uh, i mean the, the the figures show that there's been a quite a, a large rise in the whole area of around obesity and eating disorders in in, in clinical presentation okay like, I mean, there were numbers out uh, uh, medically about that this year so so i'm seeing that at the front end essentially that people come into me that you know there's a greater presentation with regard to eating disorders essentially into the clinic into the psychoanalytic clinic that i work at and have you found an increase tom during the pandemic and covid definitely you know, it's it's interesting. I, I think what I can definitely say to you is that that there's been a rise generally in anxiety in society. I would say, like, and it it seems to be bringing more people in with, you know, eating disorders and other other forms of, I suppose, of ways that people are trying to engage with with anxiety. You know, so you know, there there are other addictions. You know, the, the usual drugs and alcohol and things like that. So I'm seeing more of that too. Yeah. What campaigns might Obesity Advocacy International consider? As part of its terms yeah. of reference, yeah, I, th- I think that um, curious enough that that um, you know the context of COVID has changed everything really. I, I, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, in the area of the prevalence and risk of obesity, that um, you know, I, I think that we need to critically look and see whether governments are doing enough in the area of managing prevalence and risk of obesity in the context of COVID. I also look at the fact that there's a, there's a, a you know poor people, uh, poor people tend to get a, a rougher deal with regard to to uh, obesity, and we well know now that there's a close link between you know obesity and getting over COVID and so on. So poor people tend to have a, a tougher run of it. So I'm, I'm interested about the social gradient of obesity. I'm also very interested about the stigmatization of obesity and also body size and the impact that this has on on the rights of people in society, okay, with regard to, you know, things like bullying in schools and discrimination in the workplace and so on. So I'm interested about that. And I, I think more broadly then is what practical initiatives that we might be able to run together, you know, in the area of joined up initiatives in the area of obesity and body size. Okay. So with adolescents and, and, and adults. So that's something that I'm very keen to do some work on with, with my colleagues in the Obesity Advocacy International. Yeah. Yeah. Because Lynn was saying earlier in, in her interview that, you're putting a very strategic plan in place to try and get government to act on this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's to help us is to get, you know, the, I think what's actually happening at the moment is that all the effort is going into, into COVID, but you'll see increasingly, and I, I think we're around, particularly around World Obesity Day, is that COVID is associated with obesity as a, as a, major, as a major problem. And my fear is, for, is that, all the attention is going on on managing COVID, and I know that that's absolutely right. But my fear is that we come a year down the road, and then all of a sudden, the trajectory of obesity is going one way and it's higher. Like in in terms of the 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 challenges that people have in dealing with COVID. So I, I think what we're you know we talked to Lynn about is actually the time is now. It's not it's not in a year's time. It's actually is to is to talk to governments and and really to put pressure on to to actually to accelerate efforts in the area of obesity because it it is an increasing problem in society. Because I guess COVID isn't always going to be here, but unfortunately, obesity is. Well, absolutely, and you know the truth about it is that it's you know the you know leaders are saying it's not COVID is not going to be resolved this year, and and I, I think really that, you know the question back to governments. Well, with that in mind, the effort needs to go into obesity as well to help people practically to deal with it. Okay, and. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure, Pierce. Yeah, thanks very much. Hello, ik ben Damien uit Kaapstad en ik wil dat jij mij ziet. So our worldwide journey now takes us to Brazil, to Rio de Janeiro. And I'm delighted to be joined by Christiane Marquez Seixas. And also you're going to hear a male voice, that's João Costa, who's going to help us in the translation. So you're very welcome, the two of you guys. Christiane is a psychoanalyst who's been working in Rio de Janeiro for more than 20 years. She's been working with people who are struggling with obesity issues and related binge eating disorders. She coordinates interdisciplinary health promotion groups, as well as collaborating on a number of projects in Ireland with Tom Conlon, who we just heard from. Christiane... You're very welcome. How did you initially get involved with issues around obesity? And as a psychoanalyst, how do you find your approach works in better understanding obesity and binge eating disorders? O Pedro está interessado em saber um, como é que se envolveu no trabalho de psicoanálise e como é que esse trabalho 
se ajuda a informar sobre as questões da obesidade que tem vindo a tratar nos últimos tempos. É, bom, vou então contar um pouquinho da minha história, né? Eu sou psicanalista, sou é, formada há mais de 20 anos e quando eu comecei a trabalhar no consultório particular, começaram a aparecer algumas questões sempre voltadas a uma busca pelo emagrecimento. Né? Naquela época eu trabalhava com grupos, né? só com grupos, e, e, e o que a gente tinha, assim, em termos de orientação, de como fazer o trabalho, eram era todos voltados ao trabalho com terapias cognitivo-comportamentais, mas a minha formação era em psicanálise, então eu fui ao longo do tempo construindo essa abordagem, fiz um mestrado em saúde coletiva com esse tema, né, e um doutorado em teoria psicanalítica, também abordando as questões da obesidade, porque eu entendo que não é uma questão só relacionada ao ter que emagrecer, é né? uma questão muito mais ampla, que envolve aspectos culturais, aspectos médicos, né? aspectos individuais, e a gente precisa pensar de uma forma diferente do que a gente tem visto até agora. So, um, Christian uh, has, started, uh, has, has been engaging with psychoanalysis for uh, around 20 years, and the, how she got interested into the topic of obesity had to do with her practice starting to, to receive questions related to obesity. So that got her interested in those questions and to, to deepen, to, to explore that interest, she developed a master's and a PhD uh, in psychoanalysis directly related to, with the issues of obesity. And based on her current practice and, and the research that she's been developing, she's been able to understand that obesity is much more than biology, it's much more than the physiological and, the, and biological aspects uh, around obesity, uh, to the extent of involving cultural and social aspects, which are uh, as relevant to address uh, as the biological and the physiological ones. From your experience, why is it that people from a lower socioeconomic position have a higher prevalence and risk of obesity, Christiane? Um, Christiane, the question is, because in your experience, Porquê é que os estratos com o estatuto socioeconómico mais baixo, porquê é que tendem a experienciar um, estas, estas circunstâncias de obesidade e excesso de peso com mais regularidade do que os estratos socioeconómicos mais elevados? É, o que a gente tem observado, principalmente aqui no Brasil, é que a população né, que tem uma, uma condição econômica menos favorecida, eles têm acesso também a um tipo de alimentação que é, favorece o ganho de peso, né? ou seja, a gente está falando aí de um acesso a, a alimentos industrializados, que a gente entende que são mais, é, que tem uma, uma quantidade maior de gorduras, de, de sal, açúcar, de conservantes, então essa questão da, da, da vulnerabilidade social também é, vai marcar não só a questão do acesso ao alimento, mas também é, há, há uma certa é, é, exposição maior a situações que podem provocar o desenvolvimento da, da obesidade como uma forma de, de resposta né, a problemas relacionados, problemas de ordem psíquica, né, como vivência de traumas, de situações né, de violência, de enfim, de falta de acesso a uma série de, de coisas que as, as camadas mais favorecidas estão tem, tem possibilidade né de, de acessar so Pierce from uh, Christian's uh, experience mostly in Brazil uh, as the context where she engages mostly with uh, with the research uh, Christian is saying that the the population mostly with um, in the low in the lower social economical um, strata they have more access to least favorable food with less nutritional quality uh, in higher concentrations. So it's typically food with higher levels of sugar, fats, and, um, and salt. So all of these nutrients, we know that they are contributing from a biological perspective to, to the issue of obesity, but that works in tandem uh, with the exposure to less supportive conditions, such as trauma, violence, and in general, deprivation of supportive social structures and factors that could buffer the issues with food. So it's essentially the combination between higher uh, the, the low social economical status with higher access to low quality food, with social issues, everything works uh, together to, to reproduce the, the state of obesity and overweight. 
Okay, given the quality of life in regards to health and economics, what can actually and practically be done to tackle these issues? Então a pergunta é, dada a qualidade de vida e as circunstâncias, uh, portanto, e nesse, nessa perspectiva mais geral, o que é que pode ser feito para ajudar a amenizar e a resolver algumas dessas uh, circunstâncias? É uma pergunta importante, né? porque na verdade eu acho que a obesidade ela coloca um grande desafio para o mundo inteiro, não só para os países como o Brasil, países em desenvolvimento, que a gente é, lida com uma desigualdade social muito significativa. né? Então, é, quando a gente pensa em quais são os, as, as medidas né, que podem ser tomadas, elas vão atuar em vários níveis, né? que vão desde o nível, do nível das, das ações sociais, quanto das intervenções a nível individual, familiar, em pequenos grupos, quanto no nível das políticas públicas. Né? Então, a gente já tem observado nos últimos anos um investimento grande na mudança de políticas públicas, tanto no Brasil como na Irlanda, o que também é um processo de é um processo longo né, de construção do que é necessário para cada realidade, que são realidades muito diferentes no mundo inteiro. É, mas a gente, é, o que a gente tem visto também é um foco muito grande na questão da mudança dos hábitos alimentares, né, de modo geral, é, que ainda é, é, é tomada de uma forma muito simplificadora, né, porque mudar hábito não é fácil, não é simples, é muito complicado. Um dos elementos que tem a ver com essa mudança de hábitos está é, relacionado com, com, a, com a questão da, da regulação, por exemplo, de propaganda, né, da taxação de produtos industrializados, com produtos com pouco é, valor nutricional. Né, essa é uma das dos caminhos. O outro que ainda é um grande desafio é justamente no que diz respeito aos hábitos individuais, as escolhas alimentares, porque elas envolvem não só é, o que está sendo apresentado para eles, mas também é, o que lugar a comida ocupa na dinâmica subjetiva de cada, de cada indivíduo. Né? So Christiane is uh, first of all stressing that this is a very, very important question uh, that we, we do need to address. And it's not one thing alone that we can do. There's a, it, it needs to come from a combination of elements. So uh, Christiane is saying that the obesity uh, is framed as a challenge for the entire world, not only for developing countries. Uh, and therefore, the, the measures that need, they need to be implemented at multiple levels from the social to the individual, um, including obviously the public policies, as Brazil and Ireland have been doing uh, in, in, in different instances. Uh, but it's also important to understand that these policies, these, these measures, they take, uh, they take time, they're not immediate. So time needs to be given for them to, for, for the effect to, to, to be felt and um, um, uh, an important outcome is the changing of the dietary habits uh, in, in general. So that, that is a, an important outcome to track. The, um, the change of habits, it's not simple, it's very complex. And one of the aspects uh, has to do, for instance, uh, with the regulation of advertisements um, on, uh, on food, like um, fast food chains and uh, low quality food and so on. So one, that is one thing that needs to be regulated. And the other has to do with understanding the place of food in the social dynamic of each individual. So it's not just the, the idea of um, letting people know that they need to make better food choices, but understanding the place of food in their individual context so that they can understand what type of choices they can do relative to their own context. Now, this is a global issue that's getting worse by the day. Obesity Advocacy International is adopting an international, cross-cultural and multidisciplinary approach to the issues. How can this be helpful in tackling those issues which affect all levels of society? Okay, Cristiane, então, um, a pergunta começa com o enquadramento que este é um assunto global uh, que vai ficando pior tempo para tempo e que a Obesity Advocacy International Uh, defende uma abordagem multidisciplinar e uh, integrada a esta questão. Portanto, a, a pergunta é como é que este tipo de abordagens pode ajudar a contribuir para essa, para, para essa melhoria, desde como colocou anteriormente, desde a dimensão social à dimensão individual. Bom, a gente está construindo uma forma de pensar, né, também o, o que a gente tem de possibilidade para lidar com a obesidade, é, quando a gente junta pessoas né, interessadas em pensar o problema, 
com a dimensão de gravidade, de complexidade que ele tem, a gente já parte do princípio que a gente não tem uma resposta pronta, né? Então, é, e de que essa resposta também não, 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 não é simples. Então, acho que a iniciativa do, da, que está sendo feita agora é justamente para tentar pensar outras formas de abordar a obesidade que não sejam as mais tradicionais, né? Que é... É, pensar a mudança de hábito a partir, por exemplo, da, da questão do controle, que as pessoas precisam controlar o seus, seus, seu, seu impulso de comer, ou de que ela precisa ter uma, é, uma determinada forma, é, que seria a única forma correta de lidar com a obesidade. A gente sabe que tem recomendações que a gente não pode abrir mão, mas a gente também sabe que tem alguma coisa que a gente ainda não entendeu como funciona, né? porque nenhum país no, no mundo inteiro conseguiu é, reduzir o aumento da obesidade, quer dizer, reduzir talvez tenha conseguido, mas não conseguiu de fato é, parar o crescimento da, dos casos, do número de casos de obesidade. Então, isso coloca essa pergunta para a gente, né? O que é que está acontecendo? Aonde é que a gente não está conseguindo entender melhor o problema? Então, essa perspectiva da complexidade que é, traz pontos de vistas diferentes, e aí eu coloco pontos de vistas diferentes, não só pontos de vista teóricos e técnicos, né? mas a gente também compartilha é, essa, essa busca, essa tentativa com pessoas que vivem com obesidade, né? que, tem, que vivenciam todas as, as dificuldades, às vezes uma vida inteira, né? tentando encontrar uma, a, a fórmula certa, e isso traz para a gente uma perspectiva da vivência, né? que só quem vive com obesidade sabe como é. Então, a perspectiva do, do estigma, é, a, a, o, os, os participantes que são da área clínica também têm perspectivas diferentes de entendimento da obesidade, seja do ponto de vista epidemiológico, do ponto de vista da saúde pública, do ponto de vista psicanalítico, psicológico. Enfim, é, uma, é, um, é um grande investimento aí de fazer movimentar as ideias, de fazer a gente poder também é, se interrogar nas nossas certezas. Eu acho que esse é o principal contribuição, que a gente possa interrogar as certezas que a gente tem que não são muitas, porque elas não estão funcionando tão bem assim, né? So, the, the first thing that Christian says is that we are, we, the, the community, the, the, the Kerenica professional community in general, we are building a way of thinking about how to tackle with this problem of obesity, because there are many people interested in, in, in addressing it, And the fact that there are many people from multiple fields shows that there's not yet one answer that like um, a recipe that everyone can follow that will solve the problem. So it de definitely needs to, to include multiple people from multiple fields. So this implies that the focus is to, to be on changing the habit, for instance, with controlling the impulses to, to eat, looking that there are things that we cannot let go, uh, like commitments and objectives that we cannot let go, But at the same time, understanding that there are things that we still don't understand. For instance, Christian was stressing that there is not yet a country where the obesity uh, rate has stopped. Some countries have been successful in deaccelerating the, the trend, but not stopping the trend and reverting the, the trend uh, entirely. And the fact that there is no country doing that shows that it's still a growing problem, as you all find um, in the introduction to your, to your question. The, the last thing that uh, Christian was mentioning is that obesity does need to, to be analyzed from multiple perspectives, for instance, as the one from the personal experience and understanding what are the different factors that contribute to the, to the different factors of the or different facets of, the, of this individual experience. And therefore, we need to, to develop approaches that include, for instance, the clinical, the political, and the social dimensions all together rather than trying to approach this from a single perspective. So we do need to see how they work together uh, to get the best outcome uh, with regards to obesity. And finally, we're living in a COVID world where lots of people are stuck at home and anxiety levels are high. What advice would you have for people struggling with obesity and binge eating disorders at this time? No context of COVID, in which people are in casa with a level of stress very elevated, um, o que é que se pode fazer, o que, é que recomendações, conselhos é que se podem dar para, para essas pessoas, uh, para as ajudar a controlar uh, a obesidade e o, uh, a compulsão de comer tudo e qualquer coisa. No momento que a gente está vivendo, né? Acho que Sim, no, o mundo inteiro vivendo uma experiência nova, uma experiência que a gente nunca viveu, que é de estar 
vai ter que ficar dentro de casa, né, para evitar essa contaminação, é, e obviamente, por, por, não só o fato da gente ter aberto mão da nossos cotidianos, dos nossos, dos nossos hábitos, né, dos nossos encontros sociais, do, da nossa né, atividade de trabalho, na maioria das pessoas que podem estar em casa, e isso já causa ansiedade, né, a gente sabe que também o próprio medo em relação à doença, né, a Covid-19, a própria é, preocupação com as pessoas, com o futuro, são coisas novas. Né? Então, uh, a gente pode considerar que também o advento da, do coronavírus, ele configurou um certo trauma coletivo. Né? Nós fomos, do dia para a noite, é, lançados numa situação sem precedentes, e isso... É, caracteriza uma forma de trauma, um trauma compartilhado, a gente pode falar assim, né? é, numa certa medida, porque as preocupações são individuais, ainda que a, que a situação seja global. Né? Então, eu entendo que nesse contexto a gente, a gente deve considerar que a proximidade, não física, mas né, é, é, proximidade com as pessoas queridas, com familiares, com pessoas que com quem a gente possa falar das nossas dificuldades, dos nossos medos, né, do convívio intenso com os familiares, né, que também tem sido um, um aspecto que causa muita ansiedade e que, consequentemente, em quem já tem uma, uma predisposição é, a buscar a comida como um recurso para o alívio dessa, dessa ansiedade, a gente sabe que essas situações têm sido cada, cada vez mais frequentes e cada vez mais difíceis de lidar. Então, é, buscar estabelecer é, novas formas de contato com essas pessoas que realmente são importantes, é, fazem com que a gente possa falar também né, do que a gente está vivendo. E, e, nesse sentido, falar do que a gente está vivendo é um importante recurso para lidar com o trauma. Né? Por mais que a gente ache que a palavra não tem mais tanta importância, ela continua sendo o melhor recurso que a gente tem né, para lidar com as situações novas e inesperadas como a essa situação da pandemia de Covid-19. So, um, Cristiane is um, reinforcing that this is, as we all know, this is a new experience uh, where we, we are all at home to avoid contamination, uh, the infection, and in do, by doing that, we have uh, we have let go of our um, daily social and professional daily lives, and this in itself causes anxiety. Uh, on top of this. Uh, there's the fear uh, with COVID and the fear and concerns about the future, what, what's going to happen out, um, on the other side of this. And all of these aspects, they, uh, according to Christian, they configure a collective trauma, uh, even though the, the concerns uh, and, the, and the situations are at the individual level, but the fact that we are all experience, experiencing this makes it a collective trauma. So acknowledging this or uh, in In, in, in this framework, in this mindset, uh, Christian's recommendation is that uh, we need to increase our, our social proximity, not the physical one, but the social proximity with family, with friends, uh, because when we do that, that, that is helping to recognize uh, less positive behaviors, less protective behaviors, such as searching for food or searching for lower quality food and so on. So according to Christian, it's very important to speak, to deal with the trauma, um, and a, a very powerful message, like at, at the end that Christian is leaving, is that we should not neglect the power of the word. The word has a lot of power, and it needs to be used. The, the word communication was substantially decreased, and uh, with fewer opportunities to, to enact. Uh, and it's through the communication, it's through the word, uh, formally and informally, that we address our fears and our uh, anxieties. So essentially, as long as we keep sharing with the other, our pain, our struggles, our challenges, our anxieties, that is the main recommendation from Christian to put us in a better place by accepting and seeking help from, uh, from significant others to go through this together. Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you for joining us all the way from beautiful Brazil and Zhao from just up the road for me for translating. Guys, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care, Chris. Bye. Obrigada, <laughs> That's what I love the most about the internet. Now, I know the World Wide Web comes in for a lot of bad press, but isn't it just fantastic, the internet and how it brings us all closer? Let's hope that it means as a global community, 
we can work closer now to tackle these issues. Now let's hear from some more of our friends around the world. And so our journey continues and our trip around the World Wide Web takes us to Connecticut in the United States to join Rebecca Poole. Rebecca is the Deputy Director of the Rudd Centre for Food Policy and Obesity at the University of Connecticut. Rebecca, you're very welcome to See Me podcast. How are you? Good, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, the issue that I wish to cover with you today is that of weight bias. Can you explain to our listeners what is weight bias? So generally speaking, weight bias refers to social devaluation of people because of their weight. It's the negative attitudes and stereotypes that exist in our society toward people who have higher body weight. And these stereotypes are widespread, but they're they're not challenged very often. And they can lead to prejudice and unfair treatment and discrimination for people who are targeted. Now, the whole idea behind See Me is we want people to see the person and not the weight. Is this a common experience that people battling obesity go through? Absolutely. Weight stigma is very prevalent and common in our society. It happens to both children and adults. What we see is that for individuals who have higher body weight, such as a BMI um, that places them in the obesity range, um, as many as 40% of people um, are reporting weight discrimination because of their weight. And this is higher also typically among women compared to men. And we see also for children that weight stigma takes the form of bullying and victimization. And that in in children, weight often is one of the most common reasons they are teased or bullied. So this is a very common experience in our society for many people. We live in a world of social media where perfect bodies and lives are the norm. What kind of an effect does this have on people struggling with weight? I think it's really important to highlight that one of the reasons that weight stigma continues to be so pervasive in our society is because of those exact socio-cultural values of fitness that we see everywhere in the mass media. And and those values of fitness, um, they they kind of communicate uh, core values of ambition and hard work and desire. And the, the opposite thinking happens that when a person deviates from that thin ideal, there seem to be lacking in those qualities. There seem to be lacking in discipline. There seem to be lazy. And that's where a lot of those stereotypes emerge. What we also know is that those ideals of thinness that we see so often in the media are not realistic and they don't reflect the reality for most people. They're not attainable um, and oftentimes can lead to unhealthy and disordered eating behaviors. So they're very damaging in a number of ways, both in terms of health behaviors, but also in terms of reinforcing weight stigma. Now, people generally put all the blame of obesity on those suffering from this. How true is that? So this is one of the reasons why stigma is so pervasive. You've hit on a really important point, which is the assumption that people are personally responsible for their body weight. And what we know is that that's not accurate. That's a very broad oversimplification of uh, body weight and obesity. What we know is that Obesity is a very complex issue that has multiple multifactorial contributors, such as genetics, environment, biology, um, and certainly personal behavior is one piece of this. But if we think about body weight or obesity as a complex puzzle, personal behavior is only one piece of that puzzle. That's the piece that the media focuses on. That's the piece that our society focuses on. But if we only focus on that one piece, we're ignoring all of these other pieces and the puzzle won't be solved. So it's important to recognize that, yes, personal behavior is one aspect of body weight regulation, but there are many others that are outside of personal control that play a really important role. And finally, what can we as a community better do to break down this bias? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is to look for ways that we can challenge stigma in our daily lives. If you see somebody making a negative comment or a judgment or a stereotype about a person because of their body size, you can speak up. You can educate your children about the harmful consequences of weight-based bullying or teasing or stereotyping. You can look for examples of people in your community or in the media that challenge those weight-based stereotypes, that really show people who are actively engaged, who are healthy, who are ambitious and successful regardless of body size. And I think that's the issue is that fundamentally, 
This is really about respect and dignity for all people across diverse body sizes. And that's the message that we need to be communicating in our daily lives. Okay. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Now, our virtual journey takes us back to Cork, where I'm visiting Connor Newman. Connor has been involved in the fitness industry for over 20 years, providing fitness and dietary programs for people looking to make changes in their lives and their journey to a healthier lifestyle. Connor, you're very welcome, sir. How are you? Very good, Pierce. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Now, we've been hearing in the podcast, Connor, that a multi pronged approach of counselling, diet, and exercise is the most successful way for a person to tackle issues of obesity. In your experience, how important is it to combine diet with exercise? Well, Pierce, firstly, to start off, I think that the word lifestyle is key here because taking one approach by itself never works in my experience. So really what you're looking at is is a combination of, in my opinion, a psychological motivational program. Then you have the exercise, which is obviously important also, but you have to sink that in with nutrition. If you do one by itself, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for, basically. Yeah, we're living in a COVID world at the moment, Connor, which means gyms and running tracks are closed and people in Ireland are currently only allowed to travel within five kilometres from their home. So if somebody that's listening is eager to get started on their journey, but feels trapped within the restrictions, what advice would you give to them? Well, firstly, at no time in history previously have we been so restricted when it comes to exercise. But there's still many things you can do within your own home and around your own home. Firstly, obviously, the weather is getting better. Outdoor activities such as walking, cycling are, are still possible for us. My advice with that, if, if, if walking is something that you do like, uh, incorporate some hills, maybe some interval training. That would basically mean walking, say, a steady pace for two minutes, walk fast for three minutes. And you'd want to be looking at getting about five times a week of this outdoor activity. If it's indoors and you don't want to go outdoors, again, there's many other options. I mean, simple resistance exercises, sitting on a seat, standing up, is going to get the heart rate up. Putting something in your hand, doing some shadow boxing again, is going to get the heart rate up. Walking up and down the stairs in your house, 10 times, you're going to feel that as well. So the key word here is activity. And whether you get that activity indoors or outdoors, you know, we still have that option. Resistance bands, which you can order online, can give you a resistance workout in the home, which is essential for a person whose goal is to lose weight. We have to work with the muscle also. So small things like that, but there has to be consistency involved. If, if you're going to do something once a week, you're not going to get the progression needed. And you're not going to build up the habitual exercise routine you need to get results. So daily action, whether it's indoors or outdoors, and it has to be progressive. It's proven that in low socioeconomic areas that obesity is more prevalent. And I've often heard myself people complaining that to eat healthy is more expensive. What advice would you have for someone who's living in these circumstances? Well, firstly, you've got to find out where you are now. So I always think when it comes to nutrition, and I would look at it from a sports nutrition standpoint, which you'd sink in with the the daily activity, Mm. uh, you have to find out where you are now. I always suggest for clients, do maybe a three to five day food diary, and you become more aware of what's actually going into your mouth. And I would write down the time that you eat, what you eat, and what you drink, and what you're doing at that time. So maybe it's a habitual thing where you have biscuits and tea when you watch Carnation Street, for example. And till we actually write it down and see it written down on paper, we, we, we actually, we're not really aware with that. In saying that then, what I will say with COVID restrictions is we're less likely to go out to a fast food restaurant. And that's probably one of the only positives that we can get from this. So it's really, again, shop local in the butcher's, Again, you're not vegan. Um, I would suggest your lean proteins, mixing it with veg, but it has to be structured. So, I mean, you know ourselves from training ways, I would always suggest the person to take back control, prep your food. It will control your portion size as well. So you get your, your little lunch boxes in the, in the shop, prep your food the night before. So at least then the spontaneous type of emotional eating, that's going to happen more at home now, is less likely because you have more control o- over your food. Planning, 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 so Connor is what you're saying. Planning, exactly, Pierce. So, like, I mean, if I'm sitting down and um, 
if something upsets me in the TV or something, some emotional thought enters my mind, I could just go to the fridge and, and grab a chocolate bar. Mm. Whereas if I prep my food, I know exactly what food I'm having the next day. I'm much less likely to do that because I already know what I'm having in, in, in advance. So I think planning is really, really important, especially now when we have more time. It's not as if like 90% of us aren't working. So we have more time to prep our food. I would also suggest then when you're doing this, that you, you know, have a support bubble there. So, I mean, if there's five people in a household and one decides to eat healthy, but the other four <laughs> are doing the opposite, that's a very difficult scenario. So I would surround myself with like-minded people. If it's a family scenario, get the whole family involved and have them on board as well as a support network. There's online so many resources now. So if, if, you, if you link up with people who are like-minded, they could be in a different part of the world. They can support you when when you're struggling as well. But um, there has to be a support network combined with the structure involved as well. Okay, and finally, Connor, any journey in life has its ups and downs, the journey away from obesity included in this. If someone at home that's listening is on their journey but struggling with it, what would you say to them? Firstly, you're not alone. Millions around the world have come through this journey. And I would say on the days that you, you, you don't have motivation within yourself, you might have that daughter at home. You might have that son at home. And if you can't do it for yourself them days, do it for the, those you love. Because everyone wants those around us that we loved there for a long time. And we know ourselves, there's no better feeling. If someone has a young child and, and, you, and one of the benefits of you losing weight, you can play football with them or whatever sport they like. Like that's priceless. That's priceless. So sometimes you have to divert it onto someone else and see the big picture because the benefits you're going to get from this journey is going to be the best journey you ever take. And the knock-on effect is you'll be able to help other people in time. This isn't a sprint. This is a consistent journey. But when you get there, it will be the greatest achievement I think one can do in their lives almost. Connor, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much. No problem, Gareth. And now we're going to hear some more messages from our friends around the world. Sabona, you Melissa was in Africa. Footing you for now, umboni. Cześć. Jestem Łukasz z Polski. Chcę, żebyście mnie zauważyli. Okay, so all through this podcast, I guess the whole idea why see me podcast was started was to mark World Obesity Day and we have quite literally circumnavigated the globe and now we're back to our final destination here in Cork in Ireland and it's a Mayo man but I believe he's got his Cork passport and that's okay. All those checks have been done but I'm very delighted to be joined on the podcast with Cullum Cronin. Cullum, how are you doing, sir? You're very welcome. Thank you, thank you. How am I doing? I guess I'm I'm in the middle of a uh, crazy time where we're just about to have our first child. Oh. So I am in a very state of flux, first baby. So it's really a time that, uh, of, of not knowing what's going to happen next. But I'm, we're not at the hospital yet. We're still at home, but we're waiting. Is the bag packed? Bag is packed. Yeah, that was a big deal at the beginning, getting all the checklists done. There's so much stuff in those checklists. And uh, so it's all there. It's at the door. Like so. You must be very excited, but, are you? Yes. It's the fact that it's the first one, I guess. The more we get into it, the more we realize how little we really, really know. <laughs> and like how much friends of mine have had babies, you know, going way back. So I'm like in my 40s. This is late, I guess, but a lot of my friends would have had them and the look they give you when you tell them, it's like a look of joy, but not joy for you, but also joy that they know what's ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the odd like sly, do you know what the next couple of years are going to entail, you know? No, not um, the next couple of years, the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have a 27-year-old daughter and a 23-year-old daughter and it ain't no different. <laughs> it, it really is it, it brings up so much stuff we're going to be talking I guess you know some of the stuff that I went through and it brings up everything again everything I'd like to get into that now and tell me yeah. how your journey began to get healthy what was the crux for you I'll be honest with you I can't remember an exact moment so we got married and I guess you know the thought of having a baby came up you know mm -hmm. and that's when you really have to stare at yourself in the mirror and go, right, so this is a big deal, you know? This changes everything and responsibility kicks in and you're looking at yourself in the mirror going, am I up for this physically, mentally, you know? And physically I wasn't. And 
So I guess it's starting and finishing around having a child, you know, it's yeah. the biggest responsibility you can undertake and you have to be as ready to go as you possibly can. And I wasn't, and it, it put a lot of doubt into my head about whether I should or not, you know, mm. because I was overweight. Being overweight, was that something that you struggled with for most of your life, Colm? No, I'm a Mayo man. I actually played for Mayo under 16s. I got trials for the minors. Then I played for Connacht Rugby Utes. Like I wasn't an overweight uh, kid like, uh, mm. or even a teenager. And so I guess maybe you're talking college years would have started. Yeah, college and me seemed to, something happened during that time that just, I don't know. I, I haven't thought about it an awful lot. I yeah. just know that's when would have happened. So yeah, not all my life struggling with it, but definitely a good chunk. Of it. A good chunk of it. Now, when you came to that point of your life, when you decided, okay, as you said, you looked in the mirror, the issue of wanting to have a child with your wife came up. What did you start to do to get your journey kicked off? You know, I've tried to tackle this in the past. Like I've done things like operation transformation with you know, an organization I would have been with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've, I've, I've done it in the past. I've tackled it. but haven't been able to, to really permanently fix the problem. Mm-hmm. So I looked around for help and something that might be different to what I tried before. I've never seen anything that might tackle the whole person. So I found a thing called TriFactor. I believe it was pioneering at the time. It was the first time ever they combined the mind your diet, and your physical health. So you're talking personal trainer, you're talking dietitian, and you're talking counselor. And so all three things, and I went, oh my God. From all my experience, this could be it. Like, mm. this could this could get me on the right track. So I signed up for it. And I think everyone who's tried a couple of times, and some things work, something doesn't. Mm. But there's something missing from all the things I would have tried. I would have tried dietitian. I would have tried on its own. You know, everyone's tried a diet, I guess. I would have tried counseling at some stage. And personal trainer, that was a new thing. I hadn't gone down that route, but I'd tried the whole gym thing. But I'd never had kind of it encapsulated into one thing with kind of a a medical doctor overseeing it all. At the beginning, we would have, you know, the, the NCT, the full check, the full bloods test and... Very good check by a very good GP. And I think it was two weeks later, I would have gotten the NCT report and it wasn't good, you know. Mm. If I was a car, probably wouldn't have got much money for selling it and wouldn't have lasted very much longer, you know. So I'm not I'm not trying to say that things were like desperate bad, but it wasn't, the, the, the indicators were bad, you know. Yeah. And continuing on that direction would have led to possible diabetes and all of the other bad things that I don't really want to admit, you know, yeah. but you can imagine, you yeah. know, all the things that come into being overweight and you're staring at the paper and you're going, Oh boy. Yeah. And this was around the time we were trying to make the big decisions, you know, mm. and you're going, I, I can't do it. You know, you can't with in all good conscience, do something like that. If you're staring at a piece of paper that says continue that way, you're not going to be around for, yeah. <laughs> for the 27, 30, 40, you know, you're just not going to be there, you know? So that was a big wake up call. And, you know, that causes problems in itself, you know, it's quite a stress. And so I think the counseling kicked off first and I was very lucky, you know, a really good guy, very generous counselor, you know, and really opened up, but like the counselor themselves, it wasn't like what makes you overweight. You know, it wasn't that it was like, what's going on with you, how you're feeling at the same. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, parallel to this, you're talking about seeing a dietitian. And that's, you know, a professional dietitian is amazing. You know, when they tailor something to your requirements, like it's an amazing thing, but very difficult, like to get the habit in. It's almost as hard as going to the gym, which sounds crazy, but it's the actual habit of getting into healthy eating. I was aided and abetted by my wife who's Italian, and she would have followed the same diet as they were recommending which was the mediterranean diet and then the personal trainer i never looked into i always thought it was too expensive or a little bit self-indulgent but like going to a gym and i i I found out about boxing you know boxing bag and all of a sudden it didn't feel like effort Mm. it was release you know i can't underestimate the glory of being able to punch something and you know come out of it absolutely wrecked but elated obviously when you're going into counseling 
you're bringing up issues, you're, you're bringing up feelings, deep-rooted yeah. feelings. So then in tandem with that, you give the bag that bashing then. So, you know, not only are you working on your health, but you're also getting rid of some of that feeling inside of you, the anger or the hurt. <laughs> or That's true, but there's an important thing to also say, like, so this is pioneering. Tom Conlon, he would have come up with this pioneering idea that there would be a, a sort of an information share, but in a very controlled manner, so that if you had a very hard counselling session, sometimes you just couldn't handle a very hard physical session. So there was a very important balance that was maintained all the way through, which if it hadn't have been maintained, you could push someone really too far. You know what I mean? So there had to be kind of a, someone overlooking it, which was the key because uh, you really could, you know, someone who's really trying, but if you're pushed too far physically and emotionally, you can imagine it could be really bad. So mm. I think it's more important to mention a control factor or an overseeing sort of yeah. thing. And I found that really helpful, you know. Mm. And in some of the darker moments, I mean, you know, always when you're going on a journey like this, usually there's the positive start and you pep in your step and off you go. But then as it kind of settles in, there's dips and there's ups and downs. And how did you find the pronged approach then helped you in, in situations like that? I, I have a feeling in the background, it was it was definitely balanced outside of my, my, my knowing of it. But um, I guess... You know, you've got a counselor there, so if if you're really feeling down, it's good to talk to him, and like he will understand if you don't want to talk about certain things and just yeah. help you through. You know, maybe the challenge of going into a gym and then doing very uncomfortable stuff sometimes. You know, so you can talk about that. There's no underestimating the power of good food, like good healthy food. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the things that maybe people forget about. And when you've got that going on underneath, it can give you a platform that you're unaware of at the time, but it can really strengthen your resolve through all of it. I think the key was the balance that was maintained without kind of knowing that it was being maintained. It's an amazing sort of journey to go on where all aspects of mind, body and soul are kind of tended to, you know, and you get a chance to go. And And how are you feeling now? The important thing also to mention is at the end of it, you get your NCT report and suddenly you're saying, Oh, the car isn't too bad, you know. You could definitely go for, uh, we might get another, you know, extra lease of life out of it. That gives you then the kind of moral permission in your own head to go, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be, it's going to go good. So here we are. (laughs) In the next couple of days, I'll have a a little fella to bring through all of this stuff uh, myself. Yeah, I'm just very thankful to be in that position, you know, because um, before that, I wouldn't have been in good conscience able to do that. So it's a great release, like it's a great opportunity, you know. And we've called this podcast See Me because sometimes, and it's a known fact that somebody's carrying a lot of weight, sometimes people out there don't see the person. They just see what's in front of them. Prior to going on the journey, would you have had that experience that people didn't see you, Cullum, but they just saw the person who had a lot of weight and was very unhealthy. And now that you've come through this journey, do people now see you for you? You know, when you, you've gone through a period of your life where you're extremely fit and healthy mm. and you've found maybe that doesn't bring you the exact happiness that you want. Maybe the key isn't how you look, it's how you feel about yourself. You know, maybe the key isn't looking at other people and how they see you, is how you see yourself. So maybe I... I had that change around, you know. So now it doesn't matter as much how you think people see you. It's how you see yourself from the inside. But yes, for sure, you can see the difference in people's attitude when you go from interpro rugby at a, at a young age, you know, and all the the wonderful attention that brings to the complete opposite of almost, you know, invisibility at times. But that can bring its own advantages too. I'm not, I'm not going to play a big oh, woe is me, or, you know, I'm invisible. You know, everyone's able to survive through life, whatever happens. But definitely, it helps when you can look yourself in the mirror. And that's all we really all have to do is be able to look yourself in the mirror. Now, if there's somebody listening to this today and they're thinking about going on that journey so that they can look in the mirror and be happy with themselves, be happy with who they are, what piece of advice would you give to them? I would advise to... 
to look for help. Like I had no idea this thing existed. I guess I was quite lucky to find a pioneering thing, but there is so much help out there. There's so much goodwill and inside you, you'll find it. Like, especially if you think of a goal like me having a kid, like you'll find a way, you know, and you'll find to be happy. You'll achieve whatever you need to achieve to look in the mirror. And I'm not saying I'm, skinny now or anything like that but i all that mattered to me was looking at the nct report and going you've got more years in you now and mm. you've got the ability to do the thing that you wanted to do to bring a little fella in and show him the ropes of the world and you know get him to a good point in his life and without a risk that you mightn't be there you know what i mean yeah. and uh, if you can get to that point then that's what life's all about and so that's where you know, I'm at this point and I'm very happy to be there. Colm, thank you so much for, for being part of this podcast today. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And so as we come to the end of our virtual global journey, it's safe to say that this is just the beginning. I'm also delighted to announce that Colm and his wife are the proud parents of a beautiful boy by the name of Hugo Francesco. I also wish to take the opportunity to thank our contributors to the podcast, Colm Cronin, Connor Newman, Rebecca Poole, Christiane Marquez Seixesh, Zhao Costa, Tom Conlon and Lynn Miller. I also want to thank our friends who sent us the messages asking us to see me in their native tongue. And finally, you're all invited to a virtual event to mark World Obesity Day 2021 this evening from 7pm to 8.30pm Greenwich Mean Time. The theme of World Obesity Day 2021 is addressing obesity together. If you have any queries, you can email icpobesity at gmail.com. And if you want to register for the event, there will be a link on Obesity Advocacy International's Twitter page, which you can find by putting in the handle at Advocacy Obesity. So take care, my friends, until we talk again.